Ah, one, two. Um. What's happening, folks? It's the Yannick Wazdala. It's the Yannick Wazdala podcast. We are back, albeit briefly. A quick pit stop at home between touring. Just got back from China and Hong Kong recently, heading to the UK tomorrow. Um, quick shameless plug for dates in the UK because they're coming up in just a few days. So if you're listening to this close to the launch of the episode, you can still get tickets. Uh, I believe there are a few left for London, uh, November 6th and 7th at the Pizza Express. All the links are below in the description of the video if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, also, Peggy Skylight in Nottingham. That's November 8th. It's a week from today. And there are three clinics, three clinics slash masterclasses happening, uh, hosted by AB Workshops, one in Bournemouth on the south coast of England, November 4th, one in London at the Pizza Express, November 6th during the day, and one at Peggy Skylight, our venue in Nottingham, November 8th. It's going to be an action-packed week. I'm filming some things for Ampeg with this new move, with the amps, really excited about that. Gonna uh, dig into a couple of different rigs and actually get to spend a day in the studio playing a bunch of different gear. I have the 410 here and the V3. I think we're gonna shoot with that and also the V12 and the single 15, which I talked about in the YouTube video on the main channel not that long ago. Um, something I was super, super impressed with when I went to went to initially check out all the cabinets. Some psyched to get to spend a few hours. <laughs> working in the studio with that amp and making some making some videos with with ampeg that's going to be awesome uh right now i'm in that mode of okay what do we play <laughs> on these gigs of course we're going to play stuff from nightwatch we're going to play in fact the title track from nightwatch um it's kind of a little bit sad that two of the sort of like bigger songs on the re- I mean, okay it's not like we're not talking like uh, Ed Sheeran singles here, not massive the Drake singles with two billion streams, but two of the bigger songs, the the bigger productions, shall we say, the stuff that took a lot more uh, blood, sweat and tears to get recorded, like Nonbeliever and 13 Fathoms, because they feature the sequencer quite heavily in some program stuff. It's kind of tough to do that live with just the trio without some real like production rehearsals and some you know, triggering and keyboard programming potentially. So I don't think we're going to be able to play this one in nine. Actually, they're both in nine, th- Non-Believer and 13 Fathoms. I don't think we're going to be able to play that one live uh, or the one with the with the crazy. I mean, as you can tell, it's not about whether we can actually physically play those lines or not. It's just about like the cohesiveness of the song and and how that kind of comes across to the audience so we, we'll be able to play just about everything else except that i've picked out ship to shore which was by far the most streamed tune in the first couple of weeks of the album being out here uh never came home concord chart datum night watch get his caminar i've got Paul room 525 and genoa on as standbys and then what i didn't want to do was get into the thing of like oh shit we got to play these gigs we don't have any time to rehearse so let's just play 
the easiest, most obvious things from my discography. And as I was going through and sort of eradicating, give me that stern look, as fun as it can be to play it, and as many variations uh, of that tune that have come up over the years, um, kind of happy not to be playing it on this tour. And I sort of, you know, that and Chicago Opener and Erd Nas and just uh, some of the obvious ones. If, you, if you've been to a show before, you've no doubt heard those tunes played. Um, so I went back through my my albums it's a painful process to go back and like remember some of those things and actually have to listen to a couple of them um but then there were some things like i realized that on the union for instance light years uh was by far the most popular tune a bunch of people like covered it on youtube it's got you know four times more streams on spotify for instance than any of the other songs on that record and we've never played it live so i was like okay i think we can do that. Uh, and I sort of remember it as well. Okay, that's actually it. That's that's the main um main tune and that's kind of the bridge so it's in my brain still enough uh to pull it off i sent it to the guys i think we can pull that off as a trio so we're going to do that play that for the first time ever um i think i also threw tourbillon in there as well which is which is this one not so sure about this one because Light Years was actually recorded as a trio on the album, but we're going to go over Tourbillon Soundcheck. Uh, I also threw in American Elm, which I used to play a bunch when I was doing the Last Minute World Tour and playing solo, but I haven't been playing, um, and I haven't played it with Tom or Cliff, so maybe we'll have uh, a little bit of an original take on that. Maybe it'll be a transitional thing. Just, yeah, really the last few days been sitting down, seeing what I remembered, seeing what I missed playing, um, and then trying to find some things that were like, oh, we've just never, it never felt right to do them. I've always been that kind of under pressure of, oh, I just need tunes for a quick gig. Um, let's let's put the most obvious ones, throw the most obvious ones out there to whoever I'm playing with. And now I feel like we have a really kind of cohesive sound as a trio, having spent this time in the studio, played a couple of gigs, um, and I want to build upon that that momentum so throwing a few things out there some things from bass duo from back in 2017 with john davis um uh this waltz i wrote oops this one i don't remember as well This is a little fast, but normally there'd be another A section here, but let's go to the bridge. All kinds of intonation and setup issues right now. Thank you. 
Yeah, anyway, um, that was actually the, maybe the first thing I ever played on this bass when it was when it still had only one pickup in it when Anders had just made it when I first went to his workshop in Sweden <coughs> to check out to check out the instruments he had made me many years ago and that was maybe the first piece of music I played on it and that was the last time like five or six years ago that I played that tune and the time before that was when I recorded it so it really hasn't seen the light of day and I'm kind of hearing it with the piano with the trio and uh, you know piano and drums so let's see. Um, I hope that one makes it. Uh, there was one from One Way Out uh, that maybe I played once before on a gig, but really not that much. Uh, I think it's called Time to Turn, which we're going to see if we can pull off. And then, yeah, just playing the new music from the new record. And we have you know three nights in a row, uh, especially the two nights in the same venue, which I'm psyched about, uh, November 6th and 7th at the Pizza Express. I'm like... It's very nice to to leave the stuff set up and to just walk back in the next day with no sound check. That really helps uh, kind of with the consistency of it all. And then we'll sprint up to Nottingham, do the clinic, do the gig, and it'll all be over before it's even started. It's a really short trip. It's an action-packed trip. There's like absolutely nonstop. As soon as my feet hit the ground, they're they're definitely going to be running right away. Um, And... Of course, I mean, I was in China, so I'm kind of played in. I have, have you know, five or six shows under my belt and some rehearsals, so the, the fingers feel good. But just my luck that it actually starts to turn to winter here uh, in California. Despite the fact that it says it's going to be 87 degrees today in November, what's happening now is that it's getting down to some some quite you know cool temperatures at night that cools down the house and then it really even though it gets to 87 outside my studio down here downstairs kind of it's all shaded it, it never sees like direct sunlight through the window so it stays kind of chilly in here actually got the little heater out there behind me which has been on a little bit but the fingers kind of stay cold now for the next six months way longer than they normally do through the summer months so i have to sort of work a little extra to get them warmed up and and, f- and firing and then have to kind of stick with it a bit longer to get the blood flowing and to really feel like I've I've done some damage when it comes to the practice routine. And that's why I didn't uh, record the podcast over the weekend to try and have it on time. That's why it's coming out here on a Wednesday, which it never does, and why it's weeks late. I've just been moving around and experiencing the impossibility of trying to juggle so many things at once. In fact, speaking of that, having talked music for the front half of the podcast, and we will continue to talk music, of course. I'm actually going to take the bass off and concentrate on talking to you guys. <clears throat> Make sure I remember everything I want to say. Um, yeah, just the impossibility of juggling so many things at the same time as one person, as like not a team. Um, something that was, uh, I mean, I always, I always knew this. All of my all, all of the favorite people I follow have big teams and all of the favorite people that influence me in, in business and in just wanting to do my own thing, 
they all have big teams uh, or, or at the very least they have more than one person. So that's very, that's something that's on my mind has been for quite some time, but it's getting to that point where I want to do so much more stuff. I want the podcast to be regular and I want it to be with guests. I think that's far more compelling than an hour of me yakking away, even though you guys tune in and you check it out and I see the numbers. I'm like, okay, it's not, it's not zero streams. That's for sure. And when it's like several thousand people downloading it and listening to it on various platforms and, you know, however many people watch it even watch it on uh, on youtube it's always great to see that there is that engagement but i think it could be better i think it could reach a wider audience and i think it could be more compelling there could be i, I want i you know really want to like talk to people and have interesting conversations most of the podcasts i listen to my favorite people to listen to uh end up being interviewers and that's always nice to bring a new and a different story every time I put out an episode. So that I'm working on pretty hard right now in terms of being able to set that up. I'm really not a fan of like the Tim Ferriss model where he does basically everything remotely and with no video. I definitely want to do video and I want to do these things in person. I think there's something that you that you really miss when you're on a, even on a really good connection on a Zoom call, there's that, there's that, real split second a millisecond reaction thing of being in the same room with someone or sitting across a table from someone that you kind of that kind of gets lost in translation when it's over a video call so we try and stay away from that as much as possible <coughs> and of course just here in los angeles there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of really interesting people to talk to so i don't have to go that far to get started but then people are all over the country all over the world and uh, I'm going to start being better at carrying a mobile setup with me and doing stuff on the road. I did it with Steve Smith earlier this year, and we just we managed to, even though we were kind of strapped for time, and that, that particular day was the end of our tour, and Steve had given a clinic, and we did it between like his clinic and our show was a little bit forced and not as, maybe as long as I wanted to do it. Um, I, I'd quite like to get to that sort of, you know, Joe Rogan is is sort of known for doing that two, three, sometimes four hour podcast episodes when the conversation is that interesting and, and the people have the time. I think that's kind of compelling. So I want to get towards that with the podcast, uh, have a little piece of gear announcement and I'll do like a full video on this at some point when I have the time, probably late November, but, uh, the very lovely people from Caveman Audio came by the house uh, a couple of days ago and dropped this bad boy off, the new the BC-1, the Caveman Audio um, bass compressor. Uh, pretty interesting concept for compression for bass, like definitely more of a studio vibe than, uh, than, the, you know, than the regular sort of, let's put a compression pedal up front in the signal chain to do that specific thing that most bass players use it for um of course that begs the question of like okay so what do you this on the end you then need another compressor to do that thing on the front uh well let's that that's that's a personal taste slash choice thing uh but this is the concept of this is more like a mastering compressor at the end like definitely a studio piece like when you're in the studio and you're plugged in and you have everything you and your preamp and your pedals and whatever you're using and then all of that goes into a di and then it goes into you know the outboard gear which is at the end of the signal chain right before it goes to tape or pro tools um that's the concept of this so maybe it's something that i would like to run in the effects loop of the amp um 
there are, there are a ton of different ways to do it, but sort of excited to dig a little deeper into that. I think it might be more of a studio piece for me. Um, maybe I'm going to have the combination of the BP-1 and the BC-1, like the preamp and the compressor, sort of permanently installed in my studio because I do want to do a shitload more recording from home than I have been doing. Um, I also want to start putting out more records and yeah, all, all kinds of things. So maybe that is going to become more of a studio setup for me. I'm very fortunate to have a couple of these BP-1 compact pedals. So if I do want that sound on the road or out of the house or more mobile, shall we say, I have that option in a smaller footprint, which is very which is very nice. <clears throat> and those things sound amazing. It's like 1073 in a pedal, uh, pedal casing, which is kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, that's a little pedal slash gear update. The amp, I'm like, a, I don't want to say a month in now to having this as my main amp. The Ampeg is my main amp in the studio. It's awesome. It, it, it re I was talking to some of the guys at uh, uh, at Ampeg the other day about the, like, the kind of the difference between like conceptually, like how we're so uh, used to like looking at the amp. We're talking about, I'm sorry, I'm talking about headroom here and about power and the fact that this is the the least powerful amp they have. Um, it's at the 300 watt, the V3, and I'm playing it into an eight-arm cab. So I really, uh, this was, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I know what I'm talking about here. This ohms and all that kind of shit was explained to me very recently and I still don't fully understand it. But I do understand the fact that, you know, you plug a 300 watt head into uh, a um, cabinet and you're not exactly getting 300 watts so even a 300 watt you know uh, uh, amp being on the lower end of the power power scale is even lower when you consider the cabinet you're putting it into uh, it was explained to me that if i were to use two two tens uh, then i would get more power out of it anyway that's all by the by um, the fact that the fact of the matter is I took it out on a gig, you know, uh, not a huge gig, of course, baked potato, maybe a capacity of a hundred people, but loud, you know, we don't play soft. We're not tickling the, tickling the tunes there. Uh, we, we, you know, it's, it's electric keyboards. It's, you know, saxophone through a PA with effects and it's loud drums. Um, we're not, we're not fucking around. So it was definitely, I, I was kind of nervous that it was like, quote unquote, only a 300 watt head. Normally I, I, you know, you know me, I'm used to playing the, tone hammer 500 and having what i can and, and a split you know pair of cabinets the two single 12 so it's a totally different setup so when i was like oh i think i'm a little underpowered here i went to the end when i started to turn up the gain and the and the volume and it's that psychological thing of getting the knobs past 12 o'clock that i'm so not used to and previously when i would do that the amp would kind of start to break up especially you get them like to one or two o'clock both knobs gain and volume and you're like oh, i'm really pushing it here so the fact that the pots are trimmed to be sort of even throughout the whole range and it's not like most of your powers in the first 40 percent of the sweep and then it's there's very little incremental gain the uh, the further past you know 50 60 70 80 percent you go with each knob it's actually just it keeps going up without breaking without breaking up and without distorting or clipping all the way. So psychologically, it was like, okay, to get past that, to like actually even think about turning those knobs up so high without being afraid of it clipping was like the first little step to get over. But once I did that, I realized, oh, okay, it's just 
power at this point and it's power that doesn't clip so long story long it's been very nice to understand uh sort of the new concept of what the ampeg venture series is this sounds like a long commercial for them it's not it is just my sort of anecdotal experience of having a big move in gear and it being really completely different in terms of the approach that you have to take on the most basic level not even the sound or any of that stuff but on the most basic level of just reaching out and turning a knob up and not being afraid to turn it to one two three o'clock because it it didn't clip it, it won't it won't clip actually as far as i know and i pushed it i had them both at, at one point at three o'clock and i was pushing pedals through there and all, all kinds of crap and octaves and subharmonic and high range stuff low end stuff it never clipped and my experience previously for the longest time uh i yeah i, I experienced a lot of clipping in the past um and sort of a lot of coloration to the sound as well this is feels like a way cleaner sort of starting point and of course it has those options to not be clean as well it has the svt and the b15 uh simulator um kind of simple controls just turn it on off and then select between svt and b15 not something um that's not something i go to right away it's not something that i think is part of my natural sound i'm looking for clean because i want to create the sound from the fingers um but from what i gather the new um, what is the new pedal? There's a newer pedal, uh, the, the newer DI, which has that sort of modeling thing in it of the B15 and the SVT from Ampeg that's a that's in pedal form. I guess it's a similar, if not identical circuit to that that's in the head. So it has the dirt, dirt options as well, if you're a little bit old school. Um, I guess for me, I'd just like to play a SVT and a, and a refrigerator if I was going for that that dirty sound. Not very mobile <laughs> has to be said as i'm sure anyone with a bad back out there will testify to or just a bass player that's been playing forever and has had to move one of those beasts around <coughs> not exactly optimal so yeah that's a little catch up on gear um i'm gonna have if any of you are coming out to the show that's what i'm gonna be playing at the pizza express um and at the clinics as well if you're coming out to the clinics that's what i'm gonna be playing so you'll be able to hear it make up your own mind you don't have to take my word for it um and I put, I put out a video recently on the main channel, uh, you know, my take on what the difference between clinics and masterclasses are. You can go check that out. It's on my main channel. Uh, it was actually one of the least viewed videos I've put up in a long time. I thought it was a pretty interesting um, topic of conversation. Apparently, you guys didn't. Uh, but it's a subject that I think is worth repeating the importance of. And, and, and it's not unique, I think, to, to just the clinics or masterclasses, although those experiences are very unique. But my take on just being in the room uh, or just the concept of being in the room, whether that's to hear a band live, uh, no matter what the size of the room is, if there are 50 people there or 50,000, um, obviously the masterclass or the clinic gets you that exposed view and that sort of more one-on-one -on -one access to the artist and it's very instrument specific. Uh, but no matter what, being in a room experiencing live music, uh, and if you've followed me for some time, you'll know that this is not just another way to shamelessly plug my live shows that are coming up. This is something I, I try and do myself as much as possible. I have a two-year-old kid and I'm on tour as a musician, so it is not that possible uh, as much as I would like these days. Um, 
but it's something I've done throughout my career, throughout my life, is try to be in the room as much as possible and experience the reality. YouTube is not reality. Podcasts are not reality. Even albums are not the reality. They're a, they're a, they're a picture of, they're, they're a, I don't know, they're a, an approximation of what actually happened in the room. Like if you'd have been in, in that room when we were recording Nightwatch, the new album, it would have been such a different experience, uh, mainly because I didn't have an amp and you'd have just been listening to drums and piano. But just in terms of what actually happens in the room versus what you hear on the record, it's very cleaned up and not even in a sense of editing, but in, in, in the way the mix and the master is delivered, it's a really cleaned up version that suits speakers and headphones and just audio playback in general but then you get out to the show and it's that raw thing and you see the interaction and you feel the interaction and you hear the subtle differences from one night to the next at least as a you know being in the band unless you're coming to multiple shows being in the band is 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 the experience of hearing those subtle differences of playing almost exactly the same at least the same book of music every night even if it's not in the same order or exactly the same songs you get to feel those subtle differences from night to night and as a as an audience member you get to hear the differences of touch and feel and sound and time and articulation and ornamentation and phrasing and all of those things you get to feel those subtle differences from one note to the next and in really raw and in the flesh so to speak so <clears throat> whether it's a clinic or a master class that was just my little take on it on the last video on the main channel a way to express the importance of being in the room and of course at a clinic and a master class you can put up your hand most of the time and ask questions or maybe you are the subject of said master class and you're the one being critiqued and you're the one that's prepared that music for the guru to come in like i, I highlighted maxim vengerov the great classical violinist you know giving master classes at various universities around the world and young violinists preparing pieces of music to play for him and him critique them and and make just the most subtle of notes give them the most subtle and and, and almost sort of like what that you have to think like what 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 are you saying like why why did you even say that and then you start to process it and it you drill down a little more and it you know him saying one tiny phrase can make you ask so many questions about what it is you're doing and help you find more importantly help you find the answers to make it a better performance and ultimately have more fun in the process so i think th those are like super high value assets when it comes to clinicians and master classes and master musicians giving feedback to to younger players um but yeah the over over the the macro view when you zoom out is like go to see live music go and hear it and experience it live because i think there's nothing like it <clears throat> and as a learning experience like i i don't think there's a time i learn anything more than when i'm either on stage myself playing or whether or when i'm at a show um and maybe it's when I'm at a show and if I'm really dialed in and watching and I'm digging the music, I have I don't have the distraction of having to play or participate. I can just kind of sit back or stand there and, and let it all wash over me and sort of... We have that. I guess a lot of people will experience this once you spend time playing music. You can't switch off the analytical side of your brain when you listen. That That, that is sometimes, a, I find, a hindrance. 
Uh, I don't think it's a great thing. I wish I could just switch it off and enjoy it as a regular person who knows very little about music. And I try and get to that state when I'm, when I'm, even when I'm listening to music, you know, audio, uh, like audio recordings or, or whether, whether I'm listening to live musicians play, I just try and let it happen as much as I can. Of course, you're going to be like, oh shit, what was that? And oh man, I like that chord. And whoa, that was a nice melody. And there are all the, all those things that, that creep in. But, uh, just the act of being there is a, is a can be a massive learning experience if you're open to it, and I try and be uh, be that way as much as possible. And just like I've been doing this thing recently, <clears throat> list it's so so weird. I never thought I would do this as much as I have been. Just sort of peripherally, as I'm doing other stuff, I've, I'll have like YouTube on with my headphones. I'm like you know cleaning the kitchen or cooking dinner or whatever it is. And I've been listening to blind auditions on The Voice all over the world. Not just the American one here, but The Voice Bulgaria, uh, The Voice makes it just really every single one. There's hour-long compilation videos of like all the best uh, blind auditions, all the most emotional blind auditions, all the best acoustic blind auditions. And just it's such a completely different lane of music. Uh, from from what I play, from what I write, but melodically it's something. But pop music and just songs in general is something I've always been drawn to. And then the fact that it's this uh, context of a blind audition where they're being judged solely on their voice is really cool. And half the time I'm not even watching it; it's just on. Maybe my phone is in the pocket and it's playing from YouTube, or you know, or I'm walking around. The phone is up on the stand. I only see the phone or see the person you know, every three auditions or something because I'm, you know, peeling potatoes or whatever it might be. That's been cool just to put a bunch of songs in my head and hear, obviously, these compilations are the best of, so you they actually happen to be some quite heartfelt performances. And then hearing everyone's take on these tunes that we, like, a lot of them are super popular songs. You know, some of them are old school, some of them are, are newer. There'll be, like, you know, a Justin Bieber song followed by a Temptations tune. It's, like, really a wide range. Many decades of recorded artistry uh, is sort of encapsulated in this process. And it's very interesting to hear what will get a judge's chair to turn <coughs> and what moment, what 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 moment of the performance connects with a certain judge. So that combined with the fact that I'm just listening to melodies over and over and over again, some that I know very well because I'm just a massive fan of music and have listened to, you know, pop radio my whole life uh, and other moments where I'm like, whoa, what is this song? I don't know that. And then there are some songs that you're like, hang on a second. Whoa, wait, what? I know this, but I don't know this. And the, the version of it is so creative that it gives me like a thousand ideas for doing that for myself you know i've always shied away from the cover song or playing other people's music i think if i look back through my entire discography which i unfortunately had to do recently um there's maybe let's see i covered the little dragon song which then everyone fucking covered but i did it first I really did. Glasper did a did a version of this song, but I actually did it first. And it was because I went on tour um, on a on a co-bill with Little Dragon. So I actually heard that song every night. That's how I found out about it. Um, am I bullshitting myself? Let me just double check when Robert Glasper twice. When did he put that out? 
2012. Great. I knew. And, wow. Not only was I first, first by two years. So yeah, I did. Um, sorry, I sound like a dick toot my own horn here. But the space in between came out in 2010, late in that year. So I know I recorded that tune probably July or August because we did that tour in April of that year. Um, so yeah, I was a full two years early, I guess, on that one. And oh, not that tune. Where is it? Twice here. And that's one of the very few times. Whoops, where is it? Here we go. If you don't know this record, this is now, wow, 13 years old. Lots of OC2 action. There's Jojo Mayer on drums, Odin Varg on trumpet, Doug Womble played guitar and sang. Miller on guitar. I fell flat on my face, but didn't lose. So it's very, very rare that so there was nothing on my first record, nothing on 55 R. That was all original. The space in between had one cover on it, which was that one, which was twice. Live in Barcelona, no. Only happens once. No. Theatre by the Sea. That was original uh motion picture was original snow god original american elm ah, american elm had god rest you merry gentlemen had a uh a hymn and it had day tripper the beatles um yeah so of of i think 15 16 17 albums or something that i've put out there have been three covers total so it's, not, it's obviously not something i've done you know, it's not like Pomplamoose or Scary Pockets or something. That's literally all they do. And I've always just shied away from that whole thing. Never really felt I had something that original to say with old music, like a, a an original way to revoice it. <clears throat> but it's something I hear maybe a little bit more now um, that I do have some ideas and some reharm things that I would possibly like to explore and maybe do some do some tunes that I've just loved over my life that I find myself maybe quoting or find myself sort of singing or wanting to go back and listen to the originals a little more these days. Um, so that's kind of percolating in the back of my head that maybe I'm going to put out a record of, you know, an entire record of somebody else's music. I don't know whether that's like a whole album of Sting tunes or a whole album of Nora Jones or whatever it is, um, or whether that's just a collection of songs. Uh, I think it's safe to say I'm going to do vinyl um, in the not-too-distant future. That's a, that's something on my list for 2024. It's something I get more and more requests for every month. I know it's something that's super popular. I'd love to have Nightwatch on vinyl. I'd love to put some of One Way Out on vinyl of The Union. I think there are nice moments on bass duo, perhaps, with John Davis. Uh, Snow. There are moments. I've also thought about, okay, maybe I'll do an LP of just the title tracks from each album. And I better do that soon because there are just too many title tracks now to get out on one LP. What is it? 40 minutes or something? <clears throat> 30 I forget. Um, so yeah, there are, there are some ideas to do that, like have the title songs of each record, American Elm, 
motion picture, theater by the sea, it only happens once, space in between, mystery to me. Like there, there are enough title tracks, um, you know, Nightwatch, for instance, from the new album that could make up a whole uh, a whole LP. So definitely have some ideas in that department. Um, for anyone coming to the shows, I'm going to wrap it up here, but for anyone coming to the shows in the UK, uh, I did actually print... Uh, posters so we have we have a little bit of merch going on after the shows um we will be very happy to sign them for you i've actually uh made download postcards as well so anyone who actually wants to buy the music there won't be physical cds or lps there those are tough to travel with and i just haven't pressed any cds in in years for albums i think that's a thing of the past maybe vinyl will make it back not necessarily on the road because they're tough to travel with but i did print postcards with uh, QR codes on them so you can download the music with high quality audio files and with the play alongs and all the other stuff that comes with it the sheet music that will be available for sale as a little bundle with the poster so it'll be the poster the postcard and that will come with all the music and sheet music and play alongs and wave files so you get the high fidelity that that will be available at all the shows it's all very modern it's all very new to me there'll be ability to pay with a qr code with venmo and paypal i think it's all going to be cashless so make sure you have a smartphone just trying to really make sure i'm not dropping the ball in any area here and making the most of the the short amount of time i'm able to be on the road and come out and see you guys and uh try and provide some value to the to the evening i know there's nothing more valuable than your time and i appreciate the fact that you spend time listening to this podcast spend time listening to the music and of course take the the extra extra time and effort that it takes to come out to a live show really appreciate that um again tickets are all linked below uh, much more to come soon and hopefully the new sort of interview phase of the podcast will get up and running in the new year as i sort of you know, make make phone calls and send emails and send text messages and, and get some of my favorite people who I'm sure are also your favorite people uh, involved in being on the podcast. I've, I've done it a bunch in the past. I've had super compelling conversations with amazing people like George Mayer and with Seth Godin and, you know, Steve Wolf and Chris Cheney and just all these really smart, funny, interesting people who happen to be <clears throat> quite often bass players, but you know, definitely tuned in to the music world. And I want to bring much more of that to you in the future. So on that note, I'm going to call it a day. I'll see a lot of you, I hope, in London. Um, Pizza Express, November 6th and 7th. Peggy Skylight, November 8th in Nottingham. Clinics in Bournemouth, November 4th at Absolute Music. Uh, November 6th during the day at Pizza Express. November 8th during the day at Peggy Skylight, all hosted by AB Workshops and supported by DR Strings on this run. Um, so yeah, appreciate you listening this far. I'll speak to you very soon. Later. Mm-hmm.